welcome to the City Point Church podcast. Thanks for joining us. Every day is an opportunity to take hold of. So we hope this message inspires you and builds your faith, that it helps you have more of a God perspective for your day. Enjoy. So they asked me to preach this morning and my mind went wild with all the awesome things I'd love to tell you about. Um, For example, I was thinking this morning, I could have said the whole thing about when Jesus and Brabus are on trial and what Brabus means in Hebrew, but not today. <laughs> and, oh, what about Passover? Yeah, Passover is amazing. Do you know this very quickly? <laughs> Can't talk about it yet because, you know, haven't got time, but just a little bit. So Passover, they would choose the Passover sacrifice lamb several days before the sacrifice. And they would invite the lamb that they're going to kill, like any, any day now, they would invite it into their home and they would even name it. So they're called Lambie, right? So Lambie the lamb would stay with the family for three or four days until the lamb became attached to the family and the family became attached to the lamb. And then they would sacrifice it. Sounds barbaric, hey? But that's because the sacrifice of the lamb was to represent the personal sacrifice, not just some animal being killed for a yummy meal, because lamb's delicious. Why did God make lamb so delicious? I don't know. (laughs) Um, And one day I'd love to tell you about why we have Good Friday on Friday. Explore the Greek, it's very interesting. Might reveal some things about what day it actually happened, but that's okay. (laughs) Today, Today, I just want you to know that no matter how good you are, on Good Friday, that we're all trapped in darkness until the light comes in, sets us free, and that light has a name, and his name is Jesus. Just like that last song we sang, there was darkness, and there's a whole stack of history about what that darkness meant, and I want to explore that today. Uh, But the title of today is The Light of Easter. The Light of Easter. Point number one, for those who like notes, why Easter? Now, one thing I really need to point out is it has, and I put this on my Facebook post yesterday, there's some good debates. (laughs) There is no connection between Easter and Ishtar. There seems to be these YouTube scholars out there that think that there's a connection. Um, And I actually even have an atheist colleague, and he put up the whole, oh, Christians are so silly. They don't know the correlation between Ishtar, the goddess, and Easter. And you know me, I've said this before. If somebody makes those kind of statements, you just simply need to say, show me. Just show me. Show me one single statue. This is what I said. I said, show me one single Ishtar statue, ancient painting, ancient anything that shows Ishtar with bunnies and rabbit and like eggs. Because <laughs> it doesn't exist. In fact, Ishtar was originally the goddess of war and later became sexualized. So the problem that we have here is Ishtar sounds an awful lot like. Easter. <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, it must be the same. All right. So let me explain, because it really is a language thing. And I want you to learn this, 
Because I think it's really good to study, to prove yourself pretty much unto God. <laughs> so here, God. So that when people do come up with these kind of issues, you can gently and lovingly tell them and guide them in the right direction, all right? So where did we get Easter from? Goes right back to 1522. Martin Luther translated the Greek and the Latin into a New Testament Bible. Okay, so he translated the Bible. He decided to use a German word, Oster. Oster in German, because even English, um, English is a dog's breakfast of multiple different languages. It's really terrible. I don't know why we have English. Um, but uh, he decided to use the word Oster for the word resurrection, because the word resurrection didn't really exist. And the word Oster means sunrise or rising from the east. And so Martin Luther thought, this is a great example of what resurrection is. So he used the word Oster. Later, um, a guy named William Tyndale developed a more accurate or like a better English version and he chose to keep that word, Oster, but being English, he went with the word Esther, right, E-S-T-E-R. And you're going to find that word, Oster, all the way back in, and Esther, back in um, Ezekiel chapter 43. So then after you've got these translations using the word Oster and then Esther, King James, being very English, decided that he was going to bring an English noun called Easter, E-A. S-T-E-R, right? E-A-S-T-E-R, yep. That is where we get the word Easter from. No correlation to any goddess at all. There was a modern author named Grimm uh, in the 19th century. He's the first one to bring up the concept, and he quotes a guy from the 8th century called Bede, for those who like to look into history. A ton of scholars believe that Bede, his one quote is completely misunderstood. Also, and this is what I pointed out to my atheist colleague, um, there is absolutely zero other references to Ishtar in history concerning Easter. Um, and then he's like, are you sure? So I sent him, it's like a dozen, I think it was more than a dozen, a dozen historical references that all disagree from like scholars that Ishtar has anything to do with Easter. So this is what I want you to do next time um, a Christian or an atheist brings up the whole Ishtar and Easter thing. And I want you to do this with the love of Jesus, but I want you to roll your eyes in the back of your head as far as you can and do this. <laughs> because that myth needs to die. You see, Satan is the counterfeit. And we have to stop believing these lies and perpetuating them. What about the egg, John? All right. So the egg, like the majority of the evidence, strongly suggests that the egg originates from Judaism. They have a, what's called a siddhar plate, right? It's a siddhar plate. Uh, it's a Passover plate for Passover. And on it was an egg. It's, it's been like that for millennia. And we're thinking, hey, this is a new thing from Ishtar and... No, okay. Judaism and Christianity adopted the egg. Oh, but John, what about the rabbit? What about the bunnies? 
This one I found very interesting. The very first mention of the bunnies is in Lutherism in the 15th century. Not, it's not a modern concept at all. And why did the Lutherans decide that a rabbit, specifically the hare, was, or needed to be part of Easter? And this is where it gets really weird, but, you know, science. Um, they believed back then that the hare was a hermaphrodite and could self-reproduce. Yeah. And so they were thinking, hey, the hare can self-reproduce, kind of like the Virgin Mary. That's literally in records. In records. So they're like, well, if the hare can reproduce without a partner, and that's what Jesus did, that is where we get the hare from. It predates any of the nonsense that you hear in commercialism today about it being connected to any kind of sexuality. It's not there. In fact, I personally believe that it's paganism that took two very innocent concepts and thought we should bring that into paganism just to make Easter look bad. Show. Remember, study to show yourself approved unto, unto God. And then we use the word of God to push back the enemy. Now, let's talk about the crucifixion. Part, point two. This uh, point two is called From the Beginning. In Revelations 13, verse 8, it says, And all that dwell on the earth shall worship him. That's um, actually speaking of the Antichrist. The whole world will one day follow after the Antichrist and reject Christ. Uh, so all that dwell on the earth shall worship that Antichrist whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world. From a physical standpoint, Jesus was slain approximately 2,000 years ago. But from an eternal perspective, the grace of God has been with us from the very beginning, making a way for salvation. Um, in fact, I have a, when you think about it, Good Friday has been good forever, right? Now, I have, I have a picture of um, Bereshit. It's a Hebrew word. This is the very first word of the Bible. The first word. Um, for those who are unfamiliar with Hebrew, it means you haven't known me very well. But Hebrew, one word can mean half a sentence, okay? So, and also, every letter of the Hebrew alphabet, called the alphabet, but every letter has its own significant meaning. Not like English. English, the letter B means the letter B. In Hebrew, the letter B, called Beit, represents a house. It can also represent the body. So if you look up on the screen, Bereshit, reading from the top down, each letter has a meaning. The letter, the very first letter at the top there, the letter Beit, it represents a house. The letter after that is the letter Resh. It means the highest one. It also means the head. Um, it can mean really just the top of. So, the house, highest one. The very next letter down there, which looks like an X, but it's the letter Aleph. And it represents the number one, and it also represents God. So, 
house highest one God. The letter Sheen, which is that one that looks like a W, um, have you ever seen Star Trek? No, he says, you know, that one, yeah, I can't remember, what's the saying, what is it? Thank you, live long and prosper. Okay, I'm not a tricky, apparently. All right, you live, live long and prosper. If you actually ask the actor um, Leonard Nimoy, yeah, he will tell you that he developed that from the letter Sheen, all right? But Sheen represents God, but it also means destroy. It represents teeth, like a, you know, like a rat chewing on stuff. Um, the, le- the next letter under that looks like a little comma. That's the letter Yod. It represents an arm and a hand. And the very last letter at the very bottom is called Tav. It represents a mark, but that mark is always in the shape of a cross. So when you read this out, the very first letter of the Bible, remember, Christ crucified from the very beginning and the foundation of the world. It says, the house of the highest one God shall destroy by his own arm, his, by arms outstretched on a cross, right? So the house of the highest one God will be destroyed, that's right, by arms outstretched on a cross. Genesis 1 verse 1, the story of the gospel in the very first word. This is not a coincidence, if it was, that would be very, very unique. So he being, that's Jesus, being crucified from the very beginning, it's called a tamid sacrifice. The word tamid means perpetual sacrifice. It's ongoing. It's been ongoing since the foundation of the world. And we find the tamid sacrifice, the perpetual sacrifice, in Exodus 29 and in Numbers 28. It was, this is, get, this is where it gets, starts to get really wild. All right, stay with me. There are two sacrifices for the Tamid sacrifices. They were daily, but there was two of them. One in the morning around 9 a.m. and one in the afternoon at around 3 p.m. Now, according to the Gospels, Jesus was crucified at around 9 a.m. and then died at around 3 p.m. That's a nice, another little coincidence, don't you think? Um, so two, two sacrifices per day. Now, this is, this is pretty cool. This is where it gets even more interesting. I know I keep saying that, but it just gets better and better and better. It starts to blow your mind after a while. This day, this one Passover day, it's actually... Um, First day of unleavened bread called Passover as well. That's a technicality. (laughs) But that day is probably the only day, get this, this is probably the only day in recorded history where the Tamid sacrifice, the two sacrifices, apparently they did not occur. So since ancient times, the high priests and the priests were doing the Tamid sacrifices, the two sacrifices, morning and afternoon, and they kept doing it, kept doing it, kept doing it, and the day that Jesus was crucified is the only day that we know of where it probably didn't happen. How do we know that? Because it's written about. It's because the high priest tore his clothes during the trial of Jesus. And if he tore his clothes at any point, the Tamid sacrifice would not be allowed to be performed. 
So here we have the eternal sacrifice hanging on a cross because the ongoing earthly perpetual sacrifice had to cease. This is in Matthew 26, verse 65, where it says, Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He, that's Jesus, has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Pretty much no high priest in history had ever done that before. He completely disqualified himself. uh, We find this in Leviticus 21, verse 10, where it says, The priest who was chief amongst his brothers on whose head the anointing oil is poured, okay, so the big dude, um, and who has been consecrated to wear the garments, shall not let the hair of his head hang loose, nor tear his clothes. So when the high priest tore his clothes, big badness, (laughs) was not allowed to perform his duties. No to mead sacrifice that day. Which is even more amazing when you consider that Jesus is the high priest, the eternal high priest, and it's only Jesus, the eternal high priest, who had the authority to sacrifice the eternal to mead perpetual sacrifice. Isn't that weird, yeah? And we find that Jesus did not have his robe torn. So he had the authority to do it. In John 19, verse 28, um, this is talking about you know, Jesus being crucified and they have got his robe. And it says, they said, this is the Romans, they said to one another, let us not tear it. Let, let us not tear it. That's the robe that Jesus was wearing, okay? So they didn't tear it. But they cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. And this was to fulfill the scripture which says, they divided my garments amongst them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Only Jesus. So if Jesus is the only one with the authority to sacrifice the only eternal sacrifice, now that gets awkward, hey. (laughs) Which is why, and I want you to hear this, It's why the Romans did not kill Jesus. The Jews did not kill Jesus. They crucified him. But scripture clearly states that it was Jesus who gave up his own spirit because only Jesus had the authority as the high priest to sacrifice the eternal to meet sacrifice. And we read that in Luke 23, verse 46, where it says, this is Jesus on the cross. He says, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And having said this, he gave up the spirit. Amen. Point three. Who turned off the light? That's my point three. You would think in Scripture where it says that there was darkness on the face of the earth, right? Um, And we'll get into that. Oh, yeah, it's in um, Matthew 27, verse 45. This is what it says. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour, which is about 3 p.m. in the afternoon. And Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, 
Eloi, Eloi, lama shabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It relates to a prophecy in Psalms chapter 22. But if the whole world was plunged into darkness, then surely we would know about it from other resources. Hey, don't you think? I like that. Sometimes you need to challenge scriptures for your own study. You think, man, if everyone was freaking out, was it the whole world or was it like a solar eclipse? Well, guys, it could not have been a solar eclipse at at all. During Passover, Passover is actually a full moon. It's a full moon sacrifice, which means that the sun is pretty much on the other side of the planet. You cannot have a solar or even a lunar eclipse like that. So what you do is you... When you want to do some research, you think, is there a day in history that should not have had a solar eclipse, and yet the whole world is freaking out? And when you do that study, guess what? You find that there are references all over the world about that day. Within about two or three years, anywhere between AD 31 and AD 33. I'll give you some examples. There's a Greek historian... Um, he was actually a former slave, uh, became historian. Uh, he, his name is The Flagon. I'm like, that's not a great name. <laughs> uh, he lived somewhere between 117 BC and 38 AD. So he was there. This isn't like some guy, you know, 2,000 years later writing a book. He was there. And this is what he wrote. He was a, um, a record, like a historical writer, Loved the Olympic Games and did a whole stack of history. This is what he wrote. In the fourth year, however, of Olympiad, the Olympic Games, 202, this should be somewhere between AD 32 and 33, an eclipse of the sun happened because, you know, something, the whole place went dark. And they're all thinking, had to be an eclipse. It wasn't. But it says this, um, an eclipse of the sun happened greater and more excellent than any that had happened before it. It's a nice way of saying everything went dark, pitch dark. The day turned into night, and there was an earthquake in Bithynia, toppled many of the buildings in the city of Nicaea. All right, that's just one, one reference. But the darkness was so freaky It was still talked about a hundred years later. Um, Especially there's a a letter, it's an apology to the Roman Empire. It was written by a guy named Saint Tertullian. It's an apology, it's called an apology address to the rulers of the Roman Empire. And this is what he says. He says, and yet nailed upon the cross, he exhibited many notable signs by which his death was distinguished from all others. At his own free will, he, with a word, dismissed from him his spirit, anticipating the executioner's work, which means he killed himself before death came about naturally. He sacrificed himself. In the same hour too, the light of the day was withdrawn. When the sun at that very time was in its meridian blaze, when it should have been like in the sky burning, Those who were not aware that this had been predicted about Christ, no doubt thought it was an eclipse. So even he is like, you guys thought it was an eclipse. 
but it wasn't. This is a supernatural darkness. And then I love this. Remember, this is to the Roman Empire. He says, you yourselves have the account of the world portent, which means this world omen, still in your archives. Ooh. So the Romans, man, they knew. And they put it in their archives. And they're thinking something freaky happened that day. It gets more interesting. Thank you, musicians, for coming up. I was about to invite you up. So clever. What about China? Like China's on the other side of the planet. Yes, we have documents from China, ancient China. Uh, this is found in the Chronicles called um, the History of the Latter Han Dynasty Annals, all right? But there was an emperor, Guan Gu. Um, he was around somewhere between 15 BC and 57 AD, right there at the time of Jesus. This is what was written. <laughs> this is so Chinese. Yin and Yang have mistakenly switched, and the sun and the moon were eclipsed. Not a solar eclipse, not a, moon, not a, not a lunar eclipse, both. The sins, get this is amazing, eh? remember, other side of the planet. The sins of all the people are now on one man. Pardon is proclaimed to all under heaven. Continues. There's another part in the same Chronicles, and it says, Eclipse on the day of Guahai. That's a calendar term. Man from heaven died. Because they looked up and went, something terrible, but something wonderful has happened. Written all over the world. The day the light died so that we could be set free from darkness. Amen. To finish, yeah, there's a quote from Don, uh, Don Carson. It's like, why did Jesus have to come to die? Why, why were they innocent lambs? And interestingly, the reason why there were innocent lambs that needed to be sacrificed um, is because lambs, by instinct, do the will of God. They're not disobedient. Just like Jesus did the will of God and he was not disobedient. Now, those animals, they, they obey their instincts. They obey what God has created them for, right? Which is why you can't, can't sacrifice cats because they're this close to being evil. <laughs> I learned that from my brother-in-law, Graham. Like, yeah, he's right. Anyway, Don Carson, he said, if God had perceived that our greatest need was economic, he would have sent an economist. If God had perceived that our greatest need was entertainment, he would have sent us a comedian or an artist. If God had perceived that our greatest need was political stability, he would have sent us a politician. If he had perceived that our greatest need was health, he would have sent us a doctor. Interesting that Jesus is all that as well. But God perceived that our greatest need involved our sin, our alienation from him, our profound rebellion from our death. And so he sent us a savior. 
no longer bound by darkness, set free to find the light. And even though the light died that day, it's good news that the light was turned back on and we get to celebrate that in two days' time.